Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining the podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show, everybody. Happy Thursday, May 25. Bill is not here. You are stuck with me. I'm here, Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Bill is on jury duty. (laughs) The last person you want to see on a jury is someone who hosts a talk radio uh, TV show. Uh, so I can't imagine he's going to be gone long. But this is one of the things he had to do. He had to go uh, to jury duty. So uh, you've got me for today, and boy, do we have a lot of stuff to talk about. I got to tell you, there's just so much stuff, I don't even know where we begin. But uh, you're not going to believe what happened overnight. If you went to bed early, you missed yet another story that could potentially change the entire landscape of American politics. We're going to jump into that uh, in just a few moments. Of course, if I'm filling in, I'm bringing in very smart, very, very talented guests. Uh, we're going to have someone coming in to talk about the health care. The CBO put out their score of the House health care bill. Wait until you hear just how bad it is. It's worse than we thought. The Trump budget is out. We'll be talking to Rebecca Vallis from the Center for American Progress and host of the Off Kilter podcast. And Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal will be joining us in the second hour of the program, the final segment there. Uh, And I'm sure she has some things to say, too, about this budget and about the CBO score on health care. We've got all of that coming up. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Jimmy Benson with some stories. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Thursday. Let's get it. Thursday, Thursday? all day long. May 25th. I know, right? You're on a Thursday. I know, I know, I know. Uh, Hey, so uh, it's not quite the same exodus as the Bill O'Reilly advertiser departure. When Bill O'Reilly, of course, the big sexual harassment claims coming out, eventually leaving Fox News, advertisers leaving him first. Sean Hannity is finally seeing advertisers leave his show. Oh, this breaks my heart. I know. The first advertiser to leave the Hannity program, Cars.com. All right. Okay, Cars.com. If you're looking to buy a car... Give them your uh, give them your uh, your business. They say we've been watching closely and have recently made the decision to pull our advertising from Hannity at home exercise company Peloton followed 
along with Casper, the mattress retailer, USAA, the financial service company. So quite a quite those a are big advertisers. Of, uh, yeah, big advertisers leaving Hannity's Fox program. It's about time. On one hand, good for them for pulling out. On the other hand, what were they doing advertising on Sean Hannity's show to begin with? I mean, this is who Sean Hannity is who we thought he was. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, Peter, uh, I got a new poll here for you, a new study, I should say. Sure. Uh, I have a question for you. I, I love I love answering questions, James. What do you think is the number one fastest growing city in the United States of America? Fastest growing city? I'm going to say Houston, Texas. Austin. Houston, Texas is a good guess. Austin, Texas is a good guess because four of the top five of these fastest growing cities are in Texas. Are you serious? I am very serious. No kidding. Conroe... Texas. Where's Conroe? It's a northern Houston suburb. Oh, okay. Is number one. The fastest growing of uh, 15 here listed from the Associated Press. They saw a 7.8% increase from 2015 to 2016. Frisco, Texas, a Dallas suburb. McKinney, another Dallas suburb. Greenville, South Carolina, also in the top five. I can I can actually say that uh, Greenville, South Carolina is bumping. I've been there recently. Yeah, and I should say this is actually a study from the U.S. Census Bureau. Uh, they say, quote, overall cities in the South continue to grow at a faster rate than any other U.S. region. Conroe, Texas. Which is a little frightening that right. the fact that the South is the region that the is growing the fastest. will rise again. Under <laughs> Donald Trump. Uh, finally, uh, a note here today is the 40th anniversary of the release of Star Wars. Oh, no. 40 years? 40 years. Star Wars A New Hope was released in theaters on May 25th, 1977. Holy crap. Of course, not many theaters back then. It's a whole different ball game now. Another new Man. film coming out in December. 40 years ago. Yeah. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Bill Press Show. Sorry, sorry, Jamie. I'm tweeting something out here. I know. I, I should totally be on camera and be on mic. Uh, I'm writing my tweet. Hi, I'm hosting BP Show, and I will body slam every reporter that comes in studio today. Please watch. All right, there we go. That's- Speaking of cameras, I don't have one right now. Yeah, what's going on with your camera? Is it bro- Is Is Jamie Cam broken? Yeah, Jamie Cam was body slammed overnight, apparently. Oh, man. Shameful. Shameful. We're going to talk about body slamming, among other things, on today's show. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. Thursday, May 25th. My name is Peter Ogburn. Sitting in for Bill Press today. Follow the show. On Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. You can follow me on Twitter, at Peter Ogburn. You can follow Jamie, the Jamie Camless, Jamie, at J. Benson, D.C. And remember, if you send Jamie an email, we will always open up the mail sack. There you go. Uh, I mentioned the guests we've got coming up today. It's a big, 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 biggity, big, big show we've got today. So many things to talk about, but I want to start talking about the CBO score of the Republican, the House Republicans health care plan because it is out. The CBO put out their score yesterday. I got to tell you, folks, it is as bad as we thought it was, if not worse. So let's just get right into the numbers because 
you got to remember, th- this is just like the perfect distillation of why Republicans cannot be trusted to lead, right? We talk about that a lot, right? They really, honestly, they should not be trusted to lead. And so Democrats, when they had a shot at making Obamacare a reality, they waited for the CBO score. Granted, they did rush some things through. You remember the Nancy Pelosi infamously saying, well, you've got to pass the bill before you could read the bill, which is not a great look. But they waited for the CBO score. And Republicans, you know, they raised holy hell because the CBO score to them was Democrats had to wait for this. This was crucial that Democrats wait for the CBO score. It was everything to them. And so they did. And, you know, it showed that costs were, yeah, costs were going to go up. That's what happens when you have to insure uh, a nation of people who have gone without insurance for a long, long time. But when Republicans had a chance to do their version of health care, they did not wait for the CBO score, the House Republicans. They pushed it through. Remember, this has been voted on for weeks now. They didn't wait for the CBO score. Well, yesterday, we got the Congressional Budget Office. That is the CBO score. For those of you who don't know, that is a nonpartisan agency to just take a look at what things are going to cost. Like when we do these things, when Congress makes laws, when Congress puts uh, uh, legislation out there, What are the actual real costs of these things? What are we going to save and who is it going to help? They look at the numbers. They're number crunchers. As I say often, ball don't lie. The numbers are there. The numbers are there. So they put out their score. And what do we have? I have the findings right here in my hot little hands. From the Washington Post, I'm going to read right into it. Healthcare legislation adopted by House Republicans earlier this month would leave 23 million more Americans uninsured by 2026 than under current law. 23 million more Americans would lose healthcare in the next less than 10 years. 23 million people losing healthcare. I, I don't. I don't understand why Republicans want to die on this hill. Why they want to go to the mat knowing that people are going to lose health care. It makes absolutely no effing sense to me at all. Politically, morally, on any level, I don't understand it. And yet, this is this is where we are. Instead of, I'm going to read it again from the Washington Post uh, piece written by Darren Taylor. Uh, Instead of addressing the future number of uninsured Americans under the Republican plan, projected to immediately jump by 14 million in 2018, Paul Ryan instead chose to focus on the good things in the bill. Like what? Well, premiums overall would fall. But what they don't talk about or what Paul Ryan doesn't talk about is the reason that those premiums would fall is because they're getting rid of people who actually need health care. You know, that's kind of how this works. So if you have a pre-existing condition, that cuts you out. You don't get health care. Or you're going to have to pay a lot, lot more, which means people, you know, other people don't have to pay as much. So, yeah, premiums would go down for some people, Paul Ryan. Yes, but not completely. Democrats have their act together on this. Let's start with Chuck Schumer, 
who came out and said that there's a reason that Republicans didn't wait for the CBO to score to come out before they voted on it. The reason they rushed it through in the House without a CBO score is they would knew they'd be embarrassed by the score that came out today. That is genuinely embarrassing. The CBO score that came out is honestly, it is embar- If I was a Republican, and I haven't been for a long, long time, but if I was a Republican, I would be embarrassed. I would be embarrassed. Because this isn't just like, Oh, look at how goofy Donald Trump is with another botch or another mistake, something else he screwed up. This is this is the establishment Republicans. This is what they worked on. This is their pinnacle of achievement for them. This is what they've been running on for years. This is what they wanted. And this is what it looks like. Complete garbage. Not only would it leave that many people uninsured... The AHCA's proposal to to cut spending on Medicaid, a federal program that covers roughly 69 million Americans, by $834 billion over the next decade. So they're going to cut Medicaid by $834 billion. That's what the the bill says, y'all. That's not like... Something that some, like, Steve King wanted or some cruel Republican plan wanted to, like, cram through, you know? This is what everybody voted on. This is what Republicans voted for in the House. So, like I said, you've got Medicaid, which, again, covers 69 million Americans. Nice. $834 billion, gone. Now... Mitch McConnell is a lot of things, but he's not an idiot. He's cruel. He's a cruel monster of a human being, but he's not an idiot. He said yesterday, I don't know how we're going to get to 50 votes in the Senate. I don't know how we're going to make this happen. And he's right. It's not going to happen. Not in this form, anyway. There are a lot of things in here that Republicans absolutely love. Will it actually happen? Will it actually uh, come to fruition? I don't know. Mitch McConnell dug deep into that turtle egg sack of his (laughs) attached to his neck. Yeah. And still could not find a way for which this bill is going to pass. He's looked and looked and looked inside that lonely shell of his. And yet he can't find it. But Republicans are hell-bent on making this happen, so... Surely this is a popular plan, right? Like, they're they're not just going to go to battle over something that's wildly unpopular, right? 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 A new HuffPost YouGov poll shows 26% of of, of the American public support this bill. 26% support it? 44% oppose it. 31% remains undecided. In other words, if people know about it, they hate it. 26%, that's no good. That's no good. Elizabeth Warren yesterday tweeting about this. The CBO confirmed Trump Care is a $663 billion tax cut for the rich, paid for by kicking 23 million people off of insurance. End of story. Trump Care is devastating for the poor, seniors, pregnant women, people with pre-existing conditions, mental health, and substance abuse disorders. Now, surely everybody listening to this show 
or watching this show knows somebody who falls into that category. Somebody is going to get screwed by this, and you know who they are. I I swear, if, if you know anybody that's considering ever voting for a Republican ever again, shame on them. You should tell them as such. Do you know what I'm really sick of seeing? Go ahead. Uh, local news, uh, newspapers, blogs, whatever. These reports on she voted for Trump. Yeah. But now she's not going to have health care under his new plan. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I, I mean, look. Had your chance. I know. I, I like. Look. I feel terrible for for people who who bought the Trump lie, who bought the Trump dream. Um, and I do think that part of the reason that they bought it is that. Democrats didn't offer a concrete plan that spoke to them. And a lot of people got swindled by Trump. And they're going to find out very, very quickly that they got screwed. And I hate that because these are, I mean, there are a lot of people in my family who voted for Donald Trump for those reasons. And they're gonna they're they're in for a rude awakening. So, I just went to CNN's Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Five or six stories down. Here's one of these stories. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we have Krista Shockey. Hi, Krista okay. Shockey. Krista Shockey. She lives in a small town in southern Ohio. Uh, this is directly from the CNN story written by Heather Long. Quote: She was stunned to hear the president wants to downsize Social Security. She hadn't heard about it until CNN Money called her. Oh come on. Okay. She says, uh, quote, honestly, I haven't been following much news. I've got so much going on with my family. My mother died, she said. (sighs) That is very understandable. Very, very understandable. But if you're going out, if you went out to cast your vote on November 8th, 2016, November 8th, November 7th, I can't write, they all bled together. I forget (laughs) which one was the bad day, which one was the optimistic day. Right, right. Uh, You went out and you, 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 you cast your vote? You should have done the research beforehand if you were going to exercise your right as American. To Absolutely. Vote. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I keep coming back to this. We're at a point now where we have seen exactly how bad and how stupid Republican the Republican plan is for health care, right? It, it's a mess. It's a mess. And so now I think this is a perfect opportunity for Democrats to find their voice, find their way forward, offer up their version of a plan, and God damn it, let's make it single payer. Settle for nothing less. Out of here with this. Com- uh, there's no more compromise anymore in, in, in these uh, times. You want single payer? Let's go out there and let's scrap for it. Let's get it. Uh, how excited are Republicans to defend this CBO score, to defend this uh, <laughs> this healthcare plan? Y'all, this is a crazy story. Like, this is a crazy, crazy story. Because today is the day that Montana gets to vote for its one and only seat in the U.S. House of Representatives because Ryan Zinke... Our new, uh, or not new, but our current uh, Secretary of the Interior is being replaced with an election today. The Democrat is Rob Quist, you know, the singer. 
We talked about Rob Quist. And his opponent is a Republican by the name of Greg Gianforte. So last night in Montana, Greg Gianforte had a barbecue for volunteers and people who were supporting him. A uh, journalist from The Guardian, a man by the name of Ben Jacobs, went there to ask him about the CBO score, because this is a man who's running to become a member of the United States House of Representatives. So he gets one question about the CBO score, one question, and Greg Gianforte body slams this reporter. And we're going to play the audio in just a second, but I want you to hear how Gianforte uh framed this argument because he said that he was harassed and he asked uh, this reporter, Ben Jacobs, to put his recorder away and that uh, he wouldn't leave him alone. But here's the problem. There is tape of the incident, audio anyway, because as Ben Jacobs was trying to interview Gianforte about this CBO score, Greg Gianforte grabbed Ben Jacobs by the neck and body slammed him. Guys, this is a man who's running to be a congressman from Montana. Body slammed a reporter. Now, we have the tape. And Gianforte's statement doesn't hold up when you listen to this. Now, here's what it sounded like. Speak with Shane, please. Put your The last time you came in here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. The last guy did the same thing. You were the guardian? Yes, and you just broke my glasses. You last guy did the same damn thing. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. So, body slammed him, broke his glasses. Fox News was there in the room, and they wrote up what happened. Ben Jacobs walked into the room with a voice. I'm reading straight from foxnews.com. Ben Jacobs walked of The Guardian, walked into the room with a voice recorder, put it up to Gianforte's face, and began asking if he had a response to the newly released CBO report on the American Health Care Act. Gianforte told him he would get to him later. Jacobs persisted with his question. Gianforte told him to talk to his press guy, Shane Scanlon. At that point, listen to this. Gianforte grabbed Jacobs by the neck with both hands and slammed him into the ground behind him. The person writing this for FoxNews.com says, We watched in disbelief as Gianforte then began punching the reporter. As Gianforte moved on top of Jacobs, he began yelling something to the effect of, I'm sick and tired of this. That's what you hear in the tape. It's, I mean, it's on tape. The last time you came in here, you did the same thing. Jacob scrambled to his knees and said something about his glasses being broken. He asked the reporters around. He asked for our names. In shock, we did not answer. Jacobson said he wanted to call the police and went to leave. Gianforte looked at the three of us and repeatedly apologized. At that point, I told him and Scanlon, his press secretary, that we needed a moment. The men then left. To be clear, 
At no point did any of us who witnessed the assault see Jacob show any form of physical aggression towards Gianforte, who left the area after giving statements to local sheriff deputies. Folks, Greg Gianforte has been charged with assault. Montana votes today for a new member of Congress, and the Republican candidate was charged with assault last night. Are you kidding me? Don't, don't do this. Please, don't do this. Get up. Get up. Get up. Don't, don't do it. Man, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Think of your family. Think of your family. Think of everybody. You got to kick them out. As God is my witness, his glasses are broken in half. Jim Ross with the call there of what happened C- in Cyprian, Montana. did you enjoy that? <laughs> I know Sip love that. Guys, I, I mean, I got a couple of takes on this. First of all, uh, follow Ben Jacobs on Twitter, for uh, Ben C. Jacobs, at Ben C. Jacobs for The Guardian. Uh, the Guardian is a great, great news source. Our friend Sabrina Siddiqui writes for The Guardian. Uh, he's a colleague of hers. And, y- you know, he got in there and he asked the question and he paid the price for it. It shows you just how excited Republicans are to talk about this CBO score. They're so proud of what they've done that they won't even talk about it. They'll just body slam anybody. Grabbed around the neck, body slammed, and started punching a reporter. Sick and tired of you guys. The last time you came here, you did the same thing. That's how excited he is to talk about the CBO score. That's how proud the Republicans are of what they've done. Shameful. I, I mean, it's, it, I mean, there's no other word for it. It's shameful. Somebody has pointed out, by the way, that two-thirds of Montana has already voted. They have early voting, and, like, who knows what could happen, right? And, by the way, there are a lot of people who say, oh, well, that's it for Gianforte. He's done. He's toast. Hmm. Have we really stopped to think about this? Have we considered that maybe assaulting a member of the press might actually help a Republican? I hate to put it that way, but you look at the climate that Republicans have created. You look at what Donald Trump has done and how he talks to uh, about the press and what he did to the press. When he was running for president... He put the members of the press in like a holding pin during his rallies. So, like, there's something to be said about the climate that's been created around the free press right now. Donald Trump says the American media is an enemy of the state. You have... Corey Lewandowski, during the campaign, when he was working for Trump, manhandled a female reporter. Donald Trump stood by him. You have cries of fake news. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. Especially if, you know, he was to shoot a reporter. He would get away with that with his people. They hate the media. And you got to just take a moment to look like literally this is a case of shooting the messenger. 
are punching the messenger. Uh, ben Jacobs asked uh, the question about the CBO score, and he went full tilt body slam. That's his reaction. Next thing I know, I'm being body slammed. It's Ben Jacobs uh, with uh, Chris Hayes last night, who was all over this story. And you know what? Like, there are Republicans I saw last night who were saying, oh, why are we spending so much time talking about this story? Well, you know what? We should spend some time talking about this story because what happens the next time a reporter gets punched in the face by a politician? Or what happens when uh, a supporter of one of these politicians hunts one of these reporters down? We're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. I'm going to read a couple of comments. Uh, Joni says, let's hope he's right. This thing is a disgrace. It would be more humane to just shoot the ill and disabled instead of starving them to death. That's how grotesque this healthcare thing is. Uh, Tom Landry says, GN Forte was only charged with misdemeanor assault. If he were a Democrat and the reporter was from Fox, perhaps it would have been a felony. Uh, that's not a bad point, Tom. It's not a bad point. Squeaky Wheel says, Peter, bad boy reporters are good. Yeah, I mean, I, well, you know. Kelly says, he's beyond evil, right along with the other Republicans. They have no souls. I don't disagree with that. <laughs> and I have to say, like, you just look at the um, the news cycle and you look at how Republicans are reacting to this health care score, the Trump budget. These guys are sick. These guys are sick. Hello, Jerry. Hello, Jerry. <laughs> Hello, Jerry. Anyway, look, the Montana vote is today, so we're going to keep an eye on uh, just what the hell happens there. I mean, if if Gianforte wins, Lord willing and the Crick don't rise, that ain't going to happen. But if Gianforte wins, it, it's not going to be a good scene out there for reporters. I mean, seriously, I'm not trying to be overdramatic here, y'all, but if that happens, it is full on war against the media because, I mean, Donald Trump does want that. He craves that. You think Donald Trump isn't happy that a reporter for a British newspaper got punched in the uh, got punched in the face and body slammed by one of a member of his party that he leads? He's tickled over it. That's the danger of the environment that's been created by this senile dumbass that's running the country right now. That's true. Thank you. See? That's, these, are, these are the consequences. This is the danger of these things that when he runs around talking about the media being an enemy and locking them out and keeping members of the media away from uh, 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 events and meetings that, that they should be in on. And constantly saying they're enemies of the state. And mocking reporters with disabilities. And locking them in press pens so that the Trump crowd can corral around them and threaten them. This is what happens. These guys feel empowered to do whatever the hell they want. And if somebody gets in their way or says something that they don't like... They could take him down. 
at BP Show on Twitter, at BP Show on Twitter. Send us a note. By the way, a quick note, somebody pointed out, Montana has same-day registration, so anybody who goes to the polls today can vote. So if you are in Montana, or you know somebody in Montana, or you have followers in Montana, or you're Facebook friends with somebody on Monta- in Montana, send them a note. It, by the way, if you live in Montana or are listening today, we'd actually like to hear from you. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, shoot us a tweet. We might be able to get you on air. Yeah, eight, yeah g- g- give, us a, give us a tweet. We'll, uh, sh- we'll shoot you a DM. And we'll, yeah, we'll slide to those DMs, and we'll, uh, we'll get you on air. I'd love to talk to somebody from Montana. But in all honesty, y'all, this is, uh, this is important. This is, I mean, it's now more important than ever. It was important that we send a message that we put a Democrat in that seat. But it's more important than ever because if Greg Gianforte wins, Montana just put a man charged with assault into a House seat. And then what? At BP Show is where we're tweeting. At BP Show. We're going to take a closer look at the health care bill. With the campaign director for Protect Our Care and former senior counselor to the 22nd U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services, Mr. Leslie Datch. Coming up soon here on The Bill Press Show. Don't go anywhere. Don't do this. Please, don't do this. Get up. Let's get up. Don't, don't do it. Man, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Think of your family. Think of your fans. Think of everybody. You got to Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Thank you very much for tuning in on a Thursday, May 25. Really quickly, uh, a couple of things I want to mention. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please go do it. We're in iTunes. Just look for the Bill Press Show. We're right there. We put the whole show up every single day. We've got everything up there. Don't miss a moment of it. If you don't do the iTunes thing, go to BillPressShow.com. We have an embedded player there and other ways that you can download the show. Uh, take it with you anywhere you want to go. If you want to listen to us live, you can listen on the TuneIn app. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, youtube.com slash thebillpressshow. And by the way, we are also at Patreon, patreon.com slash bpshow. Later on today, we're going to put up a video. I got to tell you, Jamie Benson really got in there and made a little video because Jamie and I went to a marijuana business conference. And... You wouldn't believe what they have out there these days. It's it's like crazy. So we put a little video together. It's just for our Patreon people. We're asking you to pay a little bit per month, but we're doing some really cool stuff, like putting together these videos, getting out in the field. Uh, it's patreon.com slash show. So go check all those things out. Support the show. We love you. Thank you very much. Couldn't do it without you. Now, let's talk health care. More health care with uh, campaign director for Protect Our Care, and the former senior counselor to the 22nd U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services, Mr. Leslie Doc, back in studio. Leslie, thanks for coming in. Good morning, Peter. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter at Save My Care. Let's just jump right into it. We yeah. talked a little bit about the CBO score uh, uh, earlier in the show, but I want to get your reaction. 
Just going to read straight from the Washington Post piece. Healthcare legislation adopted by House Republicans earlier this month will leave thir- 23 million, 23 million more Americans uninsured by 2026 than under the current law, which is Obamacare. That is the score from the Congressional Budget Office. Is that as bad as you thought it was going to be? Uh, actually, yes, mm. because I think any time people just try and rip apart health care, repeal this law, this is what you're going to get. I mean, that's yeah. the basic flaw in what the Republicans are trying to do. You can't patch this over. You rip it apart, you suffer the consequences. To me, I think the most telling thing here is Republicans had seven years to get their alternative to Obamacare, right? You have all these people who came into Congress because they were said they were going to vote against Obamacare, they're going to repeal Obamacare. They had all this time to get together a better plan, and this was their time to shine. Didn't get it on the first couple of or didn't they didn't actually have the votes, but they thought they were going to get the votes, took them a little while, they shelved it, and they brought it back, and then we get this clunker that comes out. Um, it's clear why they crammed it through without a CBO score, but now that we have the CBO score, how deadly is that to them and their cause? Well, the politics for them are awful. Yeah. Um, the polling numbers are awful. You know, the Affordable Care Act is more popular than it's ever been. Yeah. Far more popular than the president uh, <laughs> Trump's uh, ratings. Even amongst uh, independents, uh, there's a four to one margin of people who think this bill's a disaster. Let's talk a little bit more about what's in this in this uh, Congressional Budget Office projection of how they looked at it. Um, Because Paul Ryan was sort of touting, well, the costs are going to go down. Premiums are going to go down. Is that true? Well, they go up 20%. Okay. (laughs) That's fuzzy math, as George W. Bush might say. That's kind of like uh, Trump budget math. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But the fact is, the only reason they go down ever a little bit is because people are getting crappy insurance. So what, the, what basically they're saying is, well, let the insurance companies sell you what they want to sell you. Back in the old days where women didn't have maternity care. Um, so if you're going to make insurance worthless, you're yeah. going to get some of the premiums down a little bit. I mean, th- this was the crisis that we were facing. This is why Barack Obama worked so hard to get something done is because it was so bad. The healthcare system was so bad because you could cut legally. You could just cut people out of the, out of the process. Or charge them insane amounts, right? And so it feels like, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we faced a real crisis, and they want to take us right back to where we were. Yeah, basically, they'll take us back and worse. Um, so we're going to be in a situation where we're going to end up having more uninsured uh, than we probably did before this law started. So there's nothing good about this. But I think it's really important to note that you know this is not by accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is by design. This is that they were all they care about here was a kind of the uh, notch on their political belt to make good on a promise uh, that was completely partisan. Uh, it's interesting to see they never they've never had a single hearing. Uh, they have, and everybody uh, who knows anything about healthcare, from the cancer society to the family practitioners, all uh, hate this bill. People who know healthcare best: the American Medical Medical Association, the AARP, the American Cancer Society uh, Cancer Action Network, March of Dimes, American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association, among others, all have come out and said we oppose this legislation. Yeah. What more could you po- – I mean, these are the people who know it best. Yeah, and who people trust. Yeah. I think one thing we have to be careful about as we talk about this House bill is to remember that the Senate's marching down the same path. Well, so uh, that, this is where I wanted to go with you because 
There are a lot of people who say, well, the House just wanted to get it off of their plate. They'll get it to the Senate. It's not going to end up the same way. The Senate's going to you know, make it a little more appealing. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. I would not be sleeping uh, well at night if that was your theory. If you were a person with cancer, if you were a person who uh, needed substance abuse help, I would not go to sleep thinking the Senate's going to be taking care of me. If, if my savior is Tom Cotton... <laughs> Right? Like, I got to count on Tom Cotton to save me. I am not sleeping well. Yeah. Well, good idea. Yeah. I'm not sleeping well. So how when – when we talk about the Senate is marching down the same path, are they talking about any changes to the House bill, or, or what kind of changes are they looking at? Yeah. Well, let's first talk about how they're doing this, because, yeah. you know, what the House did is, you know, is do this in secret, started yep. out behind – literally behind locked, guarded doors, yeah. uh, and kept this bill a secret, never had a CBO score, and then just – voted on it, and then proceeded to lie about its consequences. Um, and the Senate is about to do the same thing. No hearings, uh, a bunch of white men negotiating behind locked doors uh, on uh, the future of our health care. Uh, Mitch McConnell said yesterday, I'm not talking to a single Democrat about this <laughs> right. uh, because they don't agree with me. So I think they're, the Senate's marching down this exact same path. And, uh, you know, the American public are basically have rejected this. It is very clear. If you ask folks, uh, what do you think about the Affordable Care Act? It's now had 55 percent popularity. Yeah. And what people are saying, shockingly enough, the American people, at least shocking to uh, politicians, American people actually just, you know, are looking at this right. They're saying, look, the bill's working pretty well. It could get a little better. Let's make it a little better. But yeah. what you guys want to do is burn it up. Yeah. That to me is, I think, the height of hypocrisy for Republicans, right? Because they talk about how bad Obamacare is. And look, Obamacare's got some problems. Um, but as you say, like, real progress, real leadership, real real um, uh, governing would be to say, okay, this is not working. Let's figure out a way to make it work better rather than go back to a system that we all agreed. I mean, this was like 10 years ago. We all agreed that the system was just completely screwed so you talk about the popularity of, of obamacare the affordable care act uh the american ca the repeal and replace bill from the republicans huffington post and YouGov uh put out a poll yesterday 26 percent of the public support the republican repeal and replace 26 that's that's not going to get it done <laughs> yeah yeah well you know i, I it could the Republicans are just hell bent to do this. Yeah, uh, this, you know, the, people. What a this. hill to die on. Yeah, well, and people will be dying on it. Literally, so yeah, literally. So you know, but I think look, they they have no accountability in this. That if you listen to these House folks yesterday, they just lie about and about what their amendments do. So they're still out there saying, "Oh no, we're taking care of people with pre-existing conditions. There's not going to be a problem." Um, so you cannot, you simply can't trust the process as it is now. Uh, I mean. In terms of a long-term strategy, they are just lying about it. So at some point, it's going to catch up with them, right? Well, I think it should. It should. <laughs> it should. <laughs> but I think, at least for now, um, at least for people like me, uh, we would prefer if actually they didn't accomplish what they wanted to do. If, we, if they didn't destroy health care, it would be a better thing. Um, but, you know, that I, just, I think everybody who's listening here needs to know that the Senate is just trying to march down the same path. Yeah. And as no, and as bad as this bill is, all they're trying to do is make it a little better. Because what they want you to do is compare uh, what they're doing uh, to a bill that 
takes 24 million people off of health insurance and says that if you're a person who's 64 of moderate income, you're going to pay 800% more for your insurance. So they, you know, their idea of fixing this is, oh, well, maybe only 20 million people will lose their insurance. So it, they just cannot be, they sh- cannot get away with this. In other words, the House bill wants to cut off both of your arms. The Senate bill will say, we're only going to cut off one of your arms. Yeah. What do you, you still got a good one. What do you yeah. need? What are you complaining about? Oh, and by the way, if you're bleeding, that's probably a pre-existing condition. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it's a disgrace what's happening. Uh, I will say uh, a couple of Democrats came out. I'll play a couple of different clips, um, Jamie. Let's start with the Patty Murray clip because Patty Murray came right out and explained um, costs are going to go up. Under Trump Care, if you're one of the hundreds of millions of people in the United States who has a pre-existing condition, or if you're a woman, your health care costs could go up dramatically. Chuck Schumer weighed in on the CBO score and said that this is kind of... I mean, it's, he says it, it's embarrassing. The reason they rushed it through in the House without a CBO score is they would knew they'd be embarrassed by the score that came out today. And, Jamie, let's play that second Bernie clip, because Bernie Sanders also talked about it. He said, you could call this a lot of things, but you can't call it a health care bill. So call it whatever you want, but please do not call this bill a health care bill. So that leads to a question I want to ask you about. Uh, are we at a point now where Democrats could sort of step up and and fill the void of of ideas from the Republicans? I mean, is it is it time for Democrats to say, like, look, we understand that Obamacare is not perfect, but here's how we can fix it? I think they've said that and they've said, look, if if Mitch McConnell uh, will drop this insane plan that he has yeah. uh, and uh, then we're willing to work with them. But We have to look at the reality of this. Mitch McConnell said yesterday, I'm not talking to a single Democrat. I don't need to. Uh, uh, I disagree with them. So I think really um, the Republicans have to stop what they're doing. They have to open up this process. They have to reach across the aisle. I think the Democrats, you know, we have ideas. We've got to reduce drug prices. Yeah. We have many ways to do that. Um, But it, it, it that's a side, it's unfortunately a sideshow and i think if we allow ourselves to kind of uh, uh take our eye off the ball um a lot of people are going to be hurt you talk about taking your eye off the ball what does that mean keeping our eye on the ball what does that look like yeah well it it means that you know people who listen to this show who needed to be talking to their senators need, yeah. to, need to be um uh calling them up and going to see them. These senators need to ha- see the same outrage at their town hall meetings yeah. uh, that the House members have. Look, we we had, I told this story a couple times, we had members of Congress in during the whole, are they going to vote for it, are they not going to vote for it? And they just said, we are getting hammered with, with calls. And it makes a difference. Um, we interviewed Bernie Sanders in his office a couple months ago, and, when, and it was at the height of, of all of this, right? And we needed to get a Wi-Fi password, right? Because we, we needed to, to tape some stuff or broadcast some stuff. And we went to the, the secretaries up front. We was like, we need a Wi-Fi password. She says, you know what? I, I got to call somebody and get it. We have no open lines. And I don't know how to get it because we can't dial out. Our phones will not stop ringing. It's like completely ground us to a halt in terms of productivity. That's what happens. Like people think like, oh, it doesn't really matter if I make a call. I'm just one person. But like. We saw it grind to a halt because so many people were calling. And this is Bernie. I mean, people know where Bernie Sanders stands on the healthcare stuff, but they still felt it important enough to call him and say, this is what we want 
you know, you guys have got to speak up on healthcare. It was all healthcare calls. Yeah, it matters. It really matters. And you look at those town hall meetings, it really matters. Um, so I think there is a, you know, really there's an opportunity for people to make a difference in this thing. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing is that we got to know is look, look at what the Senate is, is trying to do. They're doing this behind closed doors, not a single hearing. Yeah. They basically want to repeal this law and then put a few fig leaves on top. And what the House bill showed us is that strategy just, you know, doesn't work. You can't rip the guts out and then put a, then put a small kid's Band-Aid on top and think you're going to make this thing work. But that's what they want to do. Talk to me about, like, let's just talk big picture consequences here. Um, if this does go through, if this Senate keeps this um, largely intact, how soon will we start seeing like serious repercussions? You know, they according to the CBO, 14 million people will lose their insurance next year. Premiums will go up 20 percent over the next year. Okay, just, just to stop you for just a second, so I want to dig in on that a little bit. When I read this thing, 23 million P- Americans will lose uh, their insurance by 2026. I see that and I think, okay, 2026, that's you know pretty far away. We'll have some time to maybe fix it if it does go that path. But like you're right, it's projected uh, 14 million people are projected to lose their insurance by 2018. That's next year. Yeah, that's, a- that's quick. Like there will not be time to fix it. Yeah. And this is not, you know, something that people could go, oh, I'll buy it somewhere else. Oh, you know what? Uh, I'll take better care of myself. I won't get sick anymore. I mean, this is a financial and a disaster for people. And yeah. it could cost them their lives. So there's, there, there's, and then there's no alternative for people. I, I was going to ask exactly what I was going to ask you. What is the alternative? There, there's nothing. There is nothing. If you people are going to, well, the alternative for people is not to get care. Yeah. To once again be in a position where they have cancer and don't know it, uh, where they show up at the emergency room too late. Uh, that's their alternative. We've, you know, we've seen this alternative in this country. We know what it is. It boggles the mind. It does, and it just shows you know what's wrong with the system. Where you know we're members of Congress, and then the Republican Party here is you know they they're willing to just like live by press release that they write themselves out of made up facts. You know they they're more concerned about kind of putting this ideological not, notch on their belt. But let's also not forget who's like benefiting. People, some people are benefiting uh, from this, and those are the people who are getting you know six hundred billion dollars in tax breaks. So they're taking eight hundred to really a trillion dollars away from people who need it. And what are they doing with that money? And like, why are they doing this? Because they want to give $600 billion back uh, to drug companies and insurance companies and the wealthiest 2%. That really is what's happening here. If you take a step back. Just, yeah, no, I mean, seriously. I mean, yeah. look at it. Just just look at it for what it is. It's staggering. The numbers are completely clear. I mean, they, they of course, they brag about deficit reduction. Well, let me tell you how they do that. They take health care away from people. This, You know, it's so funny. Not funny, but it's interesting to me. Like, what it really comes down to, right? Because I, I had my kid ask me the other day. He's 12, and he's learning about, you know, politics. He's like, what's, what is, honestly, what's the difference between Democrats and Republicans? Aside from the social issues, which he gets. It's just, I, I said, you know, honestly, what it comes down to is Democrats make the argument that government is there to help everybody. Right. Like you all we all buy into this thing and the government is there and they could do great things. It's not perfect, 
but it can do great things. And to say that the government has no role in taking care of its people through health care, I think is an easy, maybe a quick, easy political point. But as you say, when you step back and you look at it, it's grotesque. Yeah, it's a stark choice. It's grotesque. A choice A. Yeah. We're going to take health insurance away from 24 million people. Go find it on your own. Go figure it out. Choice, choice B, oh, we're going to give $600 billion back to the wealthiest people and to the drug companies. Okay, that's what this thing does in the end. Two things that people love, really, 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 really wealthy people and drug companies. No, and yeah. they don't like the insurance companies either. No, they don't like the insurance companies either. And that's what this bill does too. It basically puts the insurance companies back in charge. So if they Because they did such a good job before when yeah, they had the responsibility. They said if you're a woman, uh, maybe, you know, having babies, you know, isn't important to you. So we're not going to cover you for that. Can we talk about Medicaid for a yeah, second? Because this is another big yeah. part of it. The AHCA's proposal to cut spending on Medicaid, uh, we're looking at $834 billion cut over the next decade. That. I mean, that's ruthless. Yeah. And by, that's a ruthless cut. And by the way, according to them, it's just the beginning. Because in their budget, they want to. They felt that's not enough. They want to take hundreds of billions more. So they. this is an assault uh, on Medicaid. And, you know, what does Medicaid do? It, it, if your mom or dad are in a nursing home, there's a good chance they're being helped by Medicaid. If you want to keep your mom and dad out of a nursing home uh, so they can get care at home, there's a good chance that gets paid for by Medicaid. And so this is just, again, a complete uh, outrage where people's lives are going to be affected immediately. And one of the, you might call it ironic, but crazy things is what they're basically saying is if you're on Medicaid expansion today, you're getting this benefit because you, you, know, you don't make enough money to afford your own health insurance. They're saying if you, know, if, you, if you ever make enough money so that you go and get your own health insurance, you'll never get help again. So here are a bunch of people who say, you know, we want a, we want a work requirement uh, for benefits. And now they're basically saying, oh, but if you work, yeah, 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 you'll yeah. Ne- you know, you're done. Yeah, you're right, right, right. So it's like it's, it's, it's unwinnable. Uh, Elizabeth Warren tweeted about this last night, uh, talked again about the $663 billion tax cut for the rich by kicking 23 million people off of insurance. That's the full story of what this is. And then she says, Trump care is devastating for the poor, seniors, pregnant women, people with pre-existing conditions, mental health, and substance, and substance use disorders. We all know somebody that falls into that category. Oh. Everybody watching and listening, we all know somebody that falls into that yeah. category. I mean, pre-existing conditions means you had asthma. Right. Pre-existing conditions means you were born with something and you're going to have it your whole life. Um, so we, you know, we know people in our family uh, and we have friends and basically a big chunk of Americans in that category, about 129 million people have some sort of pre-existing conditions. You know, people think, oh, I, I had to have a horrible congenital heart disease to have a pre No. Right. You, you could have right. allergies. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you could, you, you know, so it it's affects a lot of people. Let's talk, because we've got about two minutes left. Let's yeah. talk about next steps. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what happens now? Where are we? Well, the, the Senate is the ball game, and people need to understand that they want to do the same thing. Because, and I think they have a kind of a very sneaky strategy for this, because they're going to make believe they're reasonable. They're trying to actually... Keep it very quiet so maybe people won't pay attention. They love the Russian thing. Because, oh, my God, because yeah. Because they're like, oh, let's talk about the Russians, <clears throat> and then we can secretly work on health care. Yeah, sneak so, that in. And so that's what's purposefully going on. So I think 
really what's next is that people have to realize the Senate's marching down the same path, that there's no way uh, for them to fix the House bill, um, and that not you know the Senate hasn't even promised. They have not said, look, we're going to get a CBO score before we vote. So for all we know, they're going to pull the same thing. Oh, my God. So – that's where the attention needs to be. Uh, Senate Majority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell yesterday said, I don't know how we're going to get to to 50 Senate votes, dot, 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 but that's the goal. Exactly. And So know, make no mistake, right? He is not here to try and make a uh, a workable alternative. He wants to get 50 votes on this health care bill. Yeah, and he's gonna, he said that's the goal. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't say helping people. Nope. Taking people's health care was no. the goal. Nope. And he's unfortunately pretty good at his job. He's terrifyingly good at his yeah. job. He's terrifyingly good at his job. Uh, SaveMyCare.org. Follow them on Twitter at SaveMyCare, campaign director for Protect Our Care. Mr. Leslie Doc, thank you so much for coming in. You, you guys know this stuff so, so well. And uh, please come back soon because the fight ain't over. It ain't over. It ain't over. Call your senators. Let them know where you stand. Thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate yep. it. We're going to take a very, very, very quick break. We'll be right back with Rebecca Vallis from Center for American Progress. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing, if you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ackman. I'm sitting in for Bill Press today on Thursday, May 25th. Bill has jury duty. Yeah, you got jury duty. So I'm here uh, filling in today, but not unlike the way that a delicious glazed donut surrounds an empty, vacuous hole with wonderful goodness, I have brought in... Good people to help me through the show, like Rebecca Vallis, Managing Director at the Center for American Progress and host of the Off-Kilter Podcast. We're going to talk about your podcast in a second. Just just to be clear, am I the donut here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the empty, vacuous hole. <laughs> You're the wonderful goodness that surrounds me. Only if I can be an old-fashioned, though, because it's the only donut I ever liked. Old-fashioned donuts yeah. don't sleep on them. I like, I like a cake donut. Jamie, Jamie gave like a... Mm. It's a bad take. Sorry. I'm a, I'm a cruller. I go cruller. I love. I recently came I go around. Cruller. To a lot of times I go cruller, but I'll mess. I, I go. Old what about a sour cream donut? I don't like sweet things, right? So I want the the less sugar, less of the cream. The old fashioned. It gives it to you just as it is. What's wrong with you? There's nothing. There's, there's a, a lot wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we begin? How, um, how long do we have? <laughs> we have so much to talk about. We're talking about the Trump budget with Rebecca Vallis in just a moment. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Jamie Bitts. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Thursday morning. You know, you mentioned the Trump budget. We actually have not 
talked much about Donald Trump, the man himself, this morning. So I thought I'd give you a little update. Oh, gee, thanks. <clears throat> From Brussels this morning, Donald Trump uh, is at a working meeting with the French president, the new French president, Macron. Uh, here is Philip Rucker's pool report from the Trump-Macron handshake in Brussels. This is fantastic. I already know it's going to be great. Quote, they shook hands for an extended period of time. Each president gripped the other's hand with considerable intensity, their knuckles turning white and their jaws clenching and faces tightening. First of all, dudes are the weirdest. Like, the Trump handshake, have you seen... Like, he does the handshake and then he yanks, like, yanks him in. Have you seen that? I'm just sort of waiting to see if the story ends with a body slam. <laughs> no right. body slam. No, no body, body slams. slams. As of yet, they are still uh, Someone's getting body working slammed. together right now. Phil Rucker mentions uh, after his pool report that this is just, it's just two alpha males. Uh, guys who give that, like, turbo intense handshake. I'm sure you've seen that. It's like it's a thing. Well, if you've got tiny hands, you have to compensate. Oh, that's what it is. That's yeah. what it is. There it is. There it is. All right, moving on. Uh, some more updates from the uh, race in Montana. Of course, we mentioned the body slam. Greg Gianforti body slamming a Guardian reporter uh, last night. Yes, that that did happen. That, I mean, that happened. Three Montana it newspapers. Three Montana newspapers have rescinded their endorsement of Greg Gianforte. The Billings Gazette, the Helena Independent Record, and the. Missoulian? Is that how you Missoulian. say it? You Missoulian. You got it. Missoulian. Yeah. Okay, Shout out so Missoula, they, Montana. They've all uh, revoked, uh, rescinded, excuse me, their endorsements of Greg Gianforte. Uh, they have not, however, uh, gone so far to endorse his opponent, Rob Quist, the Democrat. But that's an encouraging start. However, if you look at two different tales from reporters on Twitter, both of whom are in Montana right now, and Helen Peterson says, here in Anaconda, no one had heard Gianforte news. I played audio at the bar, and there the reaction could be summed up as, quote, oh, my God. On the other hand, Garrett Hake, a reporter for MSNBC, says, quote, stopped for gas and snacks en route to Bozeman and told a clerk about Gianforte allegations. Her response, my kind of politician. I know. That's what I was afraid of. That's what I was afraid of. You've built up this narrative that the media is the enemy, and when a politician actually strikes back, I could absolutely pe- see people going like, yeah, good for him. He stood his ground. Yeah, good for Those him. Those reporters asking pesky questions about millions of Americans losing their health insurance, and he gave them what they deserved. Jamie, do mm. you think I could take Greg Gianforte? If he tried to body slam me, I think I could body slam him. Well, my concern is, I mean, that that irrational behavior yesterday is very typical of somebody who is taking creatine or steroids. So Ooh. I don't know if you would have a chance against... Uh, I think I could take him. Yeah. I think I could take him. He might break my glasses. But I think I can take it. All right, quick break. Quick break. Quick break. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today, all day long. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether you're listening to us on one of our great stations or on uh, one of the apps that we're streaming on, TuneIn app. Just uh, look for the WCPT channel there. We're on there. Or watching us on YouTube or on Free Speech TV. Guys, folks, we're everywhere. Uh, I tweeted earlier, every reporter that comes in on the show today, I'm going to, to body slam. So, uh, Rebecca, I'm sorry. Those are just the rules. 
uh, you're going to have to get body slammed. It, this is this is Trump's America. This is now how we all need to behave. It's the code. Don't, don't, don't. Here it is. Don't do it. Don't do it. Think of your family. The WWE. There you go. So, in case you haven't seen the story, uh, Ben Jacobs from The Guardian went to Greg Gianforte uh, yesterday in Montana, who is the Republican candidate for uh, t- to replace Ryan Zinke. In a special election. In a special election. Uh, and he asked about the CBO score. And he was, by his own admission, he was persistent about asking the question, as a good reporter would be. And Greg Gianforte grabbed him around the neck body slammed him and began punching him about the face and neck area. Now, it's not just his word versus his. We have the tape. Somebody captured audio of the incident. Here's what it sounded like. Speak with Shane, please. I'm sick and tired of you guys. The last time you came here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. That's Gian Forte. The last guy did the same thing. You were the guardian? Yes, and you just broke my glasses. You last guy did the same damn thing. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. I love the narration. It's like, you know, the episode of Law and Order and the the attorney is questioning the witness yeah. and they're like, "I'm sorry. Uh, could you could you say that for the record? I right. can't just take the shrug." Right? <laughs> and they and they're like, "For the record, yeah. the witness has has nodded her head and pointed yeah. to the defendant." Right. Right. <laughs> like next thing I know, I'm being body slammed and uh, he uh, you know he's on top of me for a second my glasses are broken it's the strangest the strangest moment in my entire life reporting this is reality this happened. I'm sorry for laughing. I mean, no, I mean, look, uh, he's okay by his own admission. Right, he, right, he like right. it, you can it, only it, laugh because he's okay. Yeah, he's fine. I mean, his glasses. This is like his favorite pair of glasses. Apparently, every tweet he was like, "My glasses are broken," but like. Lens, Lens Crafters is having a two for one. I don't know if he's listening. Shout but... out Warby Parker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time for them to slide in and give my man some new glasses. They should start advertising. They totally them. should, yeah. right? Have you been body slammed lately? <laughs> Are you a reporter that's been body slammed <laughs> by a Republican? We've got you covered. <laughs> Warby Parker. That's perfect. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. I mean, I think we can laugh about this and we should laugh about this. Also, I feel like there are two main takeaways that are pretty serious. One of them is what you just said before the break, right, which is this is where things are in terms of how Trump has normalized the war on the media. Um, And I think this is not just even the natural conclusion of that. I think we haven't even seen the conclusion. We don't know where this goes. But this is now to the point where the media is viewed as such an enemy that it is literally W. WWF enemy style, uh, you know, uh, kind of perceptions that people are are having. But I think the second takeaway, and I think this actually segues nicely into the conversation about the budget that I hope we have at some point, because you and I are very good about not talking about the thing. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we're only going to talk about body slamming. (laughs) We're just body slamming. 30 minutes, pure body slamming. Which actually, Trump's budget, I think we could describe as a body slam to everybody but the wealthy. That's a great segue. So holding that segue. um, But I think the second key takeaway here is is that um, the it, we have now reached a point where Republicans, whether in Congress or even candidates to be in Congress, are so thoroughly aware of how unpopular their attempts to uh, repeal the Affordable Care Act and uh, take away health insurance from now, we're told, by CBO, 23 million Americans. Um, it, they're aware of how unpopular that is. They are sick and tired, as he said in that audio, of defending something that they're 
own constituents are telling them at every town hall, at every meeting, on every call, they don't want. And so I, I think what we're seeing here is it's not just Spicer hiding in the bushes anymore, right? right. It is literally uh, Republican candidates and members of Congress apparently uh, resorting to violence against people who are even asking questions about why they would do something so unpopular. And I think, you know, the the, the CBO score, which was released yesterday, showing that the bill is just as lethal and heartless and cruel as it ever was, um, it, it, it confirms that they are deciding to, they Republicans, ignore the will of the American people, ignore what their constituents want, and they don't even know how to defend it anymore. This is like the first time that a Republican has had to talk about the CBO score, right, since it came out. This is their first opportunity, and that's their reaction, that's right. is physical violence. That's how much they, A, don't want to talk about it, or B, know how unpopular or scary it is. That's right. That's right. She is Rebecca Vallis. She is Managing Director at the Center for American Progress and the host of one of my favorite podcasts. Folks, it's called Off Kilter. You can find it in iTunes, part of the District Productive Network, of which we are a part here at the Bill Price Show. Go subscribe to her show. It's fantastic. You, t- you talk about all kinds of things on your show. We do. We have sort of a focus on poverty and inequality, but that intersects with everything. Um, we have a lot of fun. We talk a lot about Trump. I know you're shocked to hear that. What? I know. It's a it's a consistent theme. Um, but it uh, And we have a lot of folks who are part of the resistance on the ground on the show. So um, check us out anywhere you, you would listen to podcasts. Um, absolutely do that. Absolutely do that. Um, I, wanna, I promise we're going to get to the budget. But your your most recent episode, you you had a lot of interviews from the the Center for American Progress Ideas Conference, which I think was really really important. I think that was an important place um, for you to be broadcasting from because I have started saying like, look, Republicans have had this time now to govern and to lead, and it is a disaster. I mean, I mean, seriously, look at the CBO score. You look at the popularity of the AHCA, the repeal and replace bill. You look at, I mean, just the hot garbage mess that's coming out of the White House, just like in terms of keeping things between the ditches. They don't know how to govern. And so there is this opportunity now for Democrats to really jump in and give some great ideas and sort of lead the way. When it's now that it's become apparent that Republicans don't know what they're doing, yeah. I, I so there's a lot of great stuff that came out of that. I think that's right. I mean, I think people have been so focused on resistance uh, since the election and since Trump's inauguration. Um, resistance, for the most part, over the course of the you know first hundred and however many days since since inauguration, has really taken the form of opposing all of the hateful stuff that he wants to do and trying to gum him up in 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 whatever way, trying to um, exercise people's uh, you know uh, rights to um, organize and rally and raise their voices. Um, lots of resistance during recess periods where members of Congress are, are in their districts. Um, but I think uh, to some extent the Ideas Conference was particularly important, not just because it was filling that vacuum of new ideas like you described, but because what it really did was to show that resistance isn't just about stopping bad things. It's also about articulating a narrative um, and a clear agenda of what we're for. Um, and so whether it's 
it's raising the minimum wage or creating jobs or uh, making sure that health insurance it, it really is a fundamental right and, and is applied that way, um, or making sure everybody has housing or clean air, all that kind of stuff, What you know, whatever issue you work on or care the most about, um, we need to not lose sight of the fact that progressives have that agenda and need to continue to push it at every chance because Trump may have campaigned as the head of a workers' party and he may have promised, I, God, I, I can't even say this anymore, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like hard to even say it. I know. But he promised to I fight for the- choke on those words. Oh, God. It's, the forgotten man and the forgotten woman, blah, 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 right? But what we've seen since he, even before he took office, right, but certainly since he took office, is not only one broken promise after another, and we'll talk about that in the context of the budget, but also absolutely no time spent doing anything that would actually help anybody who voted yeah. for him unless yeah. they're a millionaire or yeah. a billionaire. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the cottage industry that's been built around this person voted for Donald Trump and now their health care is being taken away. How do they feel about it now? I mean, guys, it, it's right there in front of you this whole time. That's right. Let's talk about the budget. Let's do it. This is why we had you on. Uh, not, I mean, you're obviously charming and fun to hang out with and <laughs> love to talk about body slams but and all of that. But also I know things, But Peter. also you got a big, 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 beautiful brain. <laughs> um, the Trump budget. Whether or not this becomes an actual budget, we know how these things work. We've talked to you about this before. They get changed. As, as one uh, Republican senator said, every budget that they get is dead on arrival because they make changes to it. But a budget is a moral document. What? Reverend Jim Wallace has always told us that we have on the show. It's a, it's a moral. It shows where the administration feels like they should focus their energy, attention, resources, all of that. And if you look at it in that context, this is nasty nasty stuff. And I want to get to the moral document piece, but I think it's also really important to talk about the dead on arrival piece. Right? Sure. People are so used to saying, oh, the president's budget is dead on arrival. And maybe that's true from a very technical legislative standpoint, but I think there are two reasons why we need to not just sit back and say that about this particular blueprint. So reason number one, um, because what we're seeing in the architecture of this budget that Trump has put out this week is so so, so similar to what we're going to see from House Republicans um, coming in in a few weeks. That actually may get pushed back if we see articles of impeachment filed. Who knows? Yeah, hey. Yeah. Interesting times. But the budget that we've seen from Trump is exactly what congressional Republicans have been trying to do for years. And now that they're finally not just in power in the House, but they actually have the White House and the Senate, we need to not look at Trump's budget and say, oh, it's dead on arrival because it's the same policies that congressional Republicans are going to be trying to push in the version of a budget that actually will get voted on. So that's reason number one. Reason number two that we need to not sit back and go, oh, dead on arrival is these policies, whether they're in the president's document or, or Congress's budget, they're not dead until the American people make them dead. Yeah. And so uh, this is particularly a timely conversation heading into another recess period next week where members of Congress are going to be in their districts supposedly talking to their constituents and hearing from them about the job that they're doing and whether they're happy and feel like they're advancing their priorities. People need to come out and actually tell their members of Congress all that stuff in that budget, all those mass Massive cuts to affordable housing, to energy, to clean air, to women's health, to health care and so forth, all to pay for tax cuts for the wealthy and corporations. That's not what I put you in office to do. And I want to see that from right. your budget yeah. when you put it out later this year. Yeah, I mean, lots of good stuff there to take away. What, to your first point, 
there are people who are looking at the Senate as like a safety measure, right? Like whether it's the uh, uh, the AHCA, right? Like this came out of the House and it's clearly a stinker. But they go, oh well, we got it off of our plate. And the Senate, they're not going to pass something this well. Now it's looking re- like maybe. Do you really trust Tom Cotton and these other goobers to, to to stop this bad legislation or a bad budget? I do not. I don't at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't buy that. I really don't buy that. Um, Bernie Sanders yesterday on the budget said that this is an immoral budget uh, and it exposes Donald Trump and his cheap campaign rhetoric. When we talk about social programs, we talk about programs that help let's say i hate to use the 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 phrase that pays the rural voter suffering from economic anxiety right but that is a real thing Mm -hmm. right they're gonna get so screwed by this oh yeah well i mean the the, the, bigly the truth is everyone's gonna get screwed by this budget oh good okay okay good yeah i feel (laughs) well no don't you you should you should actually you should be scared peter you should be scared i am very very scared no the the budget the budget that trump has put out is a massive middle finger to everybody who is not a millionaire in this country or a large corporation because don't forget their people too right that's right Lest we forget. Lest we forget. It's it's been a while since the the, the Romney campaign. Um, but it, no, seriously, corporations it, are people too, my friend. A lot of people have been taught, and you know, you I think you're used to me coming on the show and talking about poverty, talking about struggling families, and we can do that. But I think we need to not lose sight of the fact that this isn't just a massive middle finger um, and and really kind of kicking people while they're down budget for low income people. It's actually a massive, massive fu. Am I allowed to curse on this show? No, you can't. Okay, I'm glad I just didn't. Thank you. You might not have invited me back. Well, I mean, usually people... <laughs> we we like had, a massive Jamie was ready. Over. Jamie was ready to hit that dump <laughs> button, man. <laughs> we haven't I... had to use it yet this week. You know who we've had to use it for more than anybody? Congressman Tim Ryan. Well, he comes on. He drops bombs all the time. Is that before or after he meditates? <laughs> yeah, I found out he does hot yoga. Oh, well, you know he's like the, the chair of the House Meditation Caucus. He meditates? Oh, yeah. It's Jamie, we got we got to get him back in soon, Jamie. We gotta have him, we gotta have him lead our listeners in a one minute meditation. Look, I've started doing yoga. I talked to him about this on air. I have. You're I've, doing yoga. Yeah, you should see my ass right now. It's unbelievable. Ugh. Oh come on, I'm, I'm doing yoga. Now. I'm, I have to wash my hair. I, I'm doing yoga now. <laughs> I do yoga, but he and I talked about doing hot yoga. Can I do hot yoga now? Well, that... I don't do the meditation. I don't. I don't. I don't get there. I got. I got them too. Uh, it's part of the yoga, though. You kind of have to do it. Well, yeah, kind of. Mindful. You got to be mindful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because he's not my cup of tea, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Christie and I are doing yoga together. Not really. But yeah, he does meditation, huh? He does, a lot of it. Jamie, can we get him back on to lead us in some meditation? You betcha. There's nothing that goes better on radio than lots and lots of silence. Silence. <laughs> Introspection. <laughs> can you imagine the people who turn it on like in the yeah, middle of that? Been, yeah. Uh, sorry, guys. We're taking a little break here. We're getting to know our minds and right, bodies a little right. bit. Can you please yes. give us some time? Thank you. <laughs> No, but I, I think it's a huge fu. To, yeah, go it's ahead. a huge fu, and you're welcome. You didn't have to push the button. That's right. I got your backpack there in the studio behind the glass. I see. I see you. Um, it's a huge fu to literally everybody, right? Because and and that's what makes this budget so um, incredibly jaw dropping is that there is something for everyone except for millionaires and corporations to hate, right? So, are you a person who likes uh, affording your your rent, Peter? Do I love you, it. Do you like to have a roof over your head? Well, I'm it's, sorry. It's nice. Not anymore. Not oh, under this budget. Are you God. a person who likes to eat? 
Clearly. And do you like your kids to have food in school? One of them, at least. Maybe yeah. after school. Just one. Which yeah, just one? My favorite one. <laughs> we don't have to say which one. He knows. Honest answers here he on the Bill Press Show. No, That's kid- it. I'm we kidding. choose between our children. He doesn't watch. <laughs> Um, and I've lost my train of thought because now I'm thinking about Sorry. I was going to make a Sophie's Choice joke, and that's <laughs> not really fair. <laughs> well, I want to I play a couple of clips for you yeah, because yeah, yeah. yesterday, uh, Dick Mulvaney. Is that it? Mick. I thought he was a dick. He is a dick. <laughs> Mick Mulvaney yesterday. You just wanted me to say that. That was a beautiful setup. <laughs> you like that? It was amazing. I walked you right into it. I'm going to use that. Uh, Mick Mulvaney. Mick, what'd you say? <laughs> no, Jamie, don't. Don't do that. Don't do that, Jamie. <laughs> to use the dump button on myself. Yeah, though. right. You can't go there. Uh, Mick Mulvaney actually coined, this is the very first one, Jamie, he coined a phrase which um, may come back and bite a lot of people in the ass. The foundation for the plan is 3% growth. In fact, that is Trumponomics. Trumponomics? What are Trumponomics? Like, I've heard Reaganomics. We didn't really get into the Bushonomics, but Trumponomics? Trumponomics. Trumponomics. I think Trumponomics are distinct from Reaganomics in that they are just actual total fiction, right? (laughs) They don't even try to do math. They don't try to respect the integrity of numbers. There is no two plus two equals four. Trumponomics is like a higher level of all of this, right? It's not even alternative facts. Maybe it's alternative math. Yeah. Um, uh, This is my favorite part of the whole Trump budget because there is a $2 trillion math error That's right. in the budget. Will you explain that for us? Well, no. Okay. Because there's no explanation for it. <laughs> there's, uh, it's completely insane. The, the explanation is, I think, we we knew that they were bumbling. We knew that they didn't quite know what they were doing. We knew that they were not even, I think it's too generous to say, building the plane while they were flying it. I think what we didn't realize was they had so little idea what they were doing, they didn't even know how to construct a budget where the numbers work. They literally, as you said, made a $2 trillion error. Here's how they here's how they frame this. Like, I'm going to read directly from NBC News. Donald Trump's duly unveiled budget contains a massive accounting error, which I'm not so sure if it's an error, by the way. I think it's just BS, uh, that uses the same money twice for two different purposes. Based on its supersized projections of 3% GDP, the president's budget forecasts about $2 trillion in extra federal revenue growth over the next 10 years, which it then uses to pay for Trump's biggest tax cut in history, dot, dot, dot. But then it also uses that very same $2 trillion to balance the budget. How does that work? For, for those who can't see Peter right now, he's dramatically doing the emoji yeah. that has the, the hmm. fist under the chin, right? The thinking emoji. Doesn't yeah, add up. That's, well, that's right. But it's I, fuzzy math. I'll be honest. I actually think they did this on purpose. I do too, by right? the way. I absolutely do. I think it's really generous to call it an error. I think they did it on purpose. Whether they thought anyone would notice, whether they even care if anyone was going to notice, they they couldn't do what they were claiming to do through this Trumponomics magic math. And so they decided, you know what? Let's not try any harder. We've already spent several hours pulling this together. Why don't we just, you know, what? can we use it in both places? Oh, come on. This is just a budget. You know, whatever. Why does it really matter? On the other hand, I think they may have done it on purpose specifically to screw with progressives who they knew we're going to have to spend time analyzing the documents. Yeah. Like all my colleagues sitting in their offices with their laptops and their Excel spreadsheets being oh like, my oh, my God, it doesn't add up. <laughs> and I sort of feel like they might have a sick sense of humor where they were like, this will be really fun. I believe that, by the way. <laughs> I absolutely believe that. I think that's totally true. And what it does, I mean, like, we know that facts don't matter. We know that truth is sort of dead. Now math doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't like, matter. We're killing everything. Yep. In, in yes. Theory. Yeah, right? <laughs> 
He agrees. He agrees. That was that was nice. Uh, Mick Mulvaney yesterday says, "I'm aware of the criticisms and would simply come back and say there are other places where we could probably over where we were probably overly conservative in our accounting. We stand by the numbers. We stand by the numbers. So like yep. he understands there's a problem. Yeah, but like." They stand by it. They stand by it. They don't care. Sorry, we're moving on. Um, but I, I think it's important not to get lost in just the, the news story of how outrageous the numbers not even working is because, I mean, as we were saying, this isn't the budget that's going to get voted on. Right. It's a set of ideas and policies that Trump has now put his stamp on and said, yes, I will sign these into law if Congress sends them to me. And that's what Congress is about to go do right now. On that note, uh, Vice President Jamie, I want to get that uh, clip of Mike Piss was in uh, Louisiana, right? Was he in Louisiana? And he, this is their big overreaching thing. They're on the, putting us on the path to fiscal responsibility. The president's plan puts America back on a path to fiscal responsibility. In fact, the president's budget balances the federal budget in the next 10 years. I want to ask you a, a, an honest – honestly, I'm asking uh, because – I don't know the answer to this, and you, you've got a big brain. Do, do these deficits really matter when we talk about balancing the budget? Do, I mean, does it really matter? I think the real question is, are Republicans, including Trump's administration, serious about reducing the deficits? Because they sure talk a lot about it. That seems to be the lead talking point almost every time they talk about budgets or, or policies that have to do with the budget. But the answer is pretty clear when you look at this budget and you look at Trump's tax plan. If he cared at all about reducing deficits, he wouldn't be handing a $15 million annual tax cut to the richest 400 Americans every single year each, right? That's what he's doing. Each. 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 That's not 15 million total. That's 15 million each per year, right? Total of $6 billion to the richest families in this country. If if they were serious about deficits, we wouldn't see them doing that. They're only serious about deficits when it comes to people who are struggling to put food on the table or, uh, you know, climate change and policies that combat it or women's health care or education or, I don't know, Social Security, which we should talk about, too, right, because yeah. of talk about massive broken promises. But I think that's the thing. There's this sort of double talk where, yeah, deficit's hugely important, except when we're talking about all this other stuff, right? So it's it, – meaning tax cuts, yeah. right? So it's yeah. it's a talking yeah. out of both sides of your mouth kind of thing. And I think that's important for folks to understand. Um, what's next for the budget? What 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 happens next and where do we, as part of the resistance and part of the uh, uh, progressive pushback, where should we be? Well, what's next is, as we've been talking about, Congress is going to do its own budgets, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to see. We, we were expecting that to happen in June. Maybe that will, maybe that won't. I think there's a lot of stuff that remains to be seen about uh, you know, Trump and whether he's still president and whether Congress has to hold hearings on that. Um, but uh, assuming that they continue to move forward, we're going to see a budget from uh, Congress, and then that is going to be the vehicle that they end up having to vote on. But I think the thing to really think about right now in terms of what comes next Next is we have this moment right now where Trump has been incredibly clear about his priorities for the country. It doesn't have to do with the forgotten man and the forgotten woman. It certainly doesn't have to do with not touching Social Security or Medicaid, which was one of his signature campaign promises because he guts uh, uh, Medicaid even more than the GOP health bill in this budget. He decided, we should say this, he decided that the cuts didn't go far enough. He 
voted to up the ante further and also cut Social Security by targeting the disability uh, benefits part of it uh, while saying he isn't breaking his promise. We should probably talk about that mm-hmm. if we have more time. But um, we have this moment where uh, because we know what his priorities are for the country, and that's tax cuts for the wealthy and corporations at the expense of everybody else, people need to show up in force and say, you know what? I'm going to tell my member of Congress, no go on this. This is yeah. not what I want. No, no, ixnay on the uh, Ujit Bay that Trump um, umptray just put out. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you've been brushing up on your um, big Latin. I, I like I, it. I was, I was practicing for you. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Pretty right. good. But they got to say not any of this, none of this, don't want to see this from you. And that's really important because uh, members of Congress actually really do care to some extent what their constituents think. They wake up in the morning going, man, I really hope my people like me. Man, I really hope I don't get negative press. Man, I really hope I get to keep my job. That's and what it really comes down this to. This is the moment where people get to say, uh-uh, you're fired. Yeah. Uh, if, or as Ben Wickler from Move On said yesterday at the rally at the Capitol about the Trump budget, um, it's time to hand Congress its termination slip if they support these policies. She is Rebecca Vallis from the Center for American Progress and host of the Off Kilter podcast. Go find it in iTunes. Just look for Off Kilter. You'll find it right there. Uh, follow her, Rebecca Vallis. By the way, Anytime any budget news at all comes out, I go directly to your Twitter feed. That's where I go first because you, you always got great things to say about it. So Rebecca Vallis on Twitter and AmericanProgress.org. Thank you for being here. Peter, you're the best. No, you're the best. I'll body slam you later. Yeah, body, yeah, body slam one of the uh, producers on the way out. That's oh, how this okay, works. producers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not me. But only if they're wearing glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah, that yeah, how this yeah. Works? Break, break somebody's glasses. That's how it goes. I'm on it. Thank you, Rebecca. Uh, stay tuned. We've got a very, very quick break. We'll be right back with Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal here in studio. Stay tuned. Next thing I know, I'm being body slapped. At- Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Subscribe there if you want to uh, watch the show every day. And by the way, we are now on Patreon, patreon.com slash BP Show. We're putting up all kinds of new and exciting content. We put up uh, an interview that we did with Greta, Greta Van Susteren. We went to her studio, interviewed her there. That's up if you contribute uh, a little bit of money. It's $5 a month is all we're asking, but we're going to give you some great stuff. We had a live stream with the Reverend Barry Lynn earlier this week. We're going to put that up. And uh, today, like right after the show, we're going to put up a video that Jamie did. Jamie and I went to the Marijuana Business Expo, which is over at National Harbor. I'm telling you, like you would not believe what they're doing with like the pot industry these Where days. Where was my invite, Peter? Well, you know what? I expected to go there and see like lots of pot, but it's really just like all the stuff around the pot industry. So it's like shipping labels and like these essentially like distillers and pickers. You guys are going to have to do a road trip to Seattle. I mean, that's just all there is to it. <laughs> if you're I mean, inviting twist us. Twist my arm, why don't you? I mean, seriously, that is the voice of Congresswoman uh, Pramila Jayapal, who is in studio with us, along with our friend Rebecca Vallis, host of the Off Kilter podcast, which you can download in iTunes. Just go search for that. Also from the Center for American Progress. Ladies, thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. Started on a great note, too. I'm just going to get out of y'all's way. I mean, I've got two brilliant women in studio. I'm only going to screw this up. So 
Uh, let's as long as you're self-aware about it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, 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 look. <laughs> clearly, I, I, I'm I'm holding the thing is uh, th- holding things up here. I'm just making. I'm getting in the way. Uh, so let's let's start first of all. I want to ask you a question because there's so much to talk about between budget and uh, health care and the Trump Russia ties. On the Trump Russia ties, uh, yesterday we had Congressman Al Green, the Reverend Representative Al Green from Texas, and he said that he is going to introduce articles for impeachment uh, of Donald Trump. Uh, are you on board with that? Look, I think that we just have to make sure that when we introduce them that they get passed. Mm -hmm. We don't have a majority right now. And I think that the American people, if you look at the polling, the American people still are standing right behind him. So the question really is what's the right time where if there's enough data there that it would actually move somewhere? Because I think we lose some credibility if we introduce them and – they just sit sit around. So that's the conundrum. You know, I think every day there's something more that drives us closer to being able to lay a case. But there's got to be a case. Otherwise, it's going to be seen as pure political partisanship and Democrats are going to end up losing out of that. So it's too serious to play games with. Um, I'm you know, I feel like I'm closer and closer with the information I hear, but I haven't seen the documents. I haven't seen memos. I haven't seen the research. I, You know, I haven't seen any of that. So that's our challenge right now. That's why, you know, Comey, uh, uh, Mulvaney, uh, Mulvaney, Comey, what the, Mueller, yeah, Mueller is a great first step, um, but it's not enough because yeah. we're not getting what we need from the congressional investigations. You know, we had the classified briefing with Rod Rosenstein. There was very little that was classified, I think, because he assumed that the minute we walked out of the door, somebody would leak it to somebody else. That seems to be the the times that we're in. Yeah, well, you know, Theresa May certainly gave her opinion of that in terms of the classified information about the uh, about the bomber in UK. But I, I look, I think that it's good to continue to have the American people be woke. And yeah. to, to be pushing and to be calling for real accountability. That's what impeachment's about. It's about accountability for things that people hear. So let's figure out if those things are true. Let's make sure we've got the data for it um, and the, you know, the backup for it. And then I think hopefully the American people will come along with it, put pressure on their representatives, and, and then something will happen. There's no question that there's such egregious wrongdoing happening right now um, because – even if you don't believe every single one of the things, it's too much smoke to not have fire. So that's where we are. I think that's a very uh, responsible place to be. I think you're right. And, you know, what's so interesting to me is when you look at the Russia stuff and where this goes, I mean, who knows, right? I think it's going to be really, really hard to find Donald Trump colluding with Russia. I think plenty of people around him were. But I think the thing is going to eventually catch up with him is the obstruction of justice. Yeah. Like, probably not guilty of collusion, almost definitely guilty of obstruction I of justice. I think the obstruction of justice piece feels really, really um, solid, mm-hmm. assuming those things we heard are true, of course. But, you know, one time – I said this on MSNBC the other day – one time you can kind of say, well, he didn't really mean it. 
But time after time, <laughs> calling up two directors of, of national security agencies, um, you know, telling the director of the FBI to drop the investigation. If all those things are true, it's a pattern. It is obstruction of justice. And if you think back to Watergate, you know, it was when people came forward from the administration and said, hey, this I got asked to do this, to drop this investigation. I'm not going to do it. That's what constituted the first count. So we'll see where this goes. But um, there's no, you know, we, we need to move on this fast but responsibly so that in the end, democracy is stronger from it. Yeah. Well, it's the old adage, right? It's not the crime, it's the cover-up. That's it. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's it, right. It, that it, it continues to be true, and I, it's what I think of every time I read the headlines on this. I'm really glad to hear you say that, Congresswoman, because I feel like um, my nightmare scenario when the news started to break and the Comey memo was was out there, and I think that was the day of our ideas conference, actually, mm-hmm. was when we found out about this, and we're all abuzz. you got a bunch of cappers all going like, oh, my God, this <laughs> is really happening. And I think Mira like, saw the news clip while she was on broadcasting on my radio show, and we were both like, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> Right. But but like I think my nightmare kind of thought at that moment was we can't screw this up. Right. If this is really true, the 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 thing that would be the disaster would be to to get it wrong, to move too soon and then to have him appear to be proven right by saying it's a witch hunt. Yeah. And that's that's exactly my concern. And, you know, you have I mean, on some things, the American people are way ahead of us. Um, But on this, we just had an election seven months ago. And I think we're going to need a little bit of time for people who voted for Trump to actually start to see the pattern of what's happening. And in order to do that, they rightly say you can't just believe what you hear because they've been told it's fake news all the time anyway. So so we're going to need to really show our cards in the case. And we have to be sure that that's really what's happening and that it really rises to the level of, of, of impeachment. Uh, in the earlier part of the hour, Rebecca and I were talking about the Donald Trump budget, which we got to look at. Um, it doesn't look good. It, it doesn't look good for progressives. It doesn't look good for Americans. It doesn't look good for um, people who need help. It doesn't look good for people who are doing pretty well already. It's bad across the board. Unless you're really, really unless, rich. Unless you're really, gotta really rich. Got to leave that in Darn there. Darn the yeah. luck. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. God, I wish I was really, for the, really for rich. For the 1% of um, the most wealthy in our country, they will see 50% of the $1 trillion in tax cuts that come from this budget. And if you happen Yelsa. to be in the top 20%, you'll see uh, another 25%. So a total of 75% of the tax cuts will go to the top 20% of income earners in this country. Everyone else, you're kind of screwed. Um, it is really a cruel betrayal of working people. That's what it is. And but wait, Donald Trump was well going to be the savior of these people. That's I why the- I say betrayal yeah. because he promised a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, it was the the great populist campaign. But um, I'll tell you, people in Ohio, people in um, Appalachia, people in the Great Lakes region. Um, People across the country, red and blue states, rural and urban, are going to suffer with this budget. You cannot cut – I mean, just – we can go through it, right? $610 billion for Medicaid, that's on top of an $880 billion cut in Medicaid. That's almost $1.5 trillion. That's 50% of Medicaid dollars. Medicaid dollars – for people who who think that Medicaid is only for poor people, which is, by the way, a really great thing that we help poor people and vulnerable yeah, people, it's not so but, it, but it also supports nursing homes, seniors, 
opioid disorders. There's a lot of people who are on Medicaid. People with disabilities. I mean, that's that's the piece that gets forgotten so often, right, is we've got millions of Americans with disabilities who are able to live independently instead of in institutions the way they did 60, 70 years ago, and to work. I have a lot of friends who are able to work full-time because they have the services provided through right. Medicaid. They're going to be locked up in an institution, a nursing home at age 33 or 35, yeah. and no longer will be a tax-paying citizen yeah. if they lose their Medicaid. No, that's exactly right. And you mentioned disability. You know, he says he's not... Com- Mick Mulvaney came before the Budget Committee and said, we are not cutting Social Security. We are keeping to the campaign pledge. That is just wrong. They are cutting Social Security disability, Social Security income, uh, um, uh, SSI, security supplemental income. security income, and disability. You can't... There is no such thing as core Social Security. That's what they said. We're not cutting core Social Security. These are all a part of Social Security, and they're going to cut all of those things. So huge cut to Social Security. And then on top of that, if you look at um, the worker retraining program, so you think of jobs and infrastructure as one of the things that Trump ran on, one of the reasons that working people voted for him, um, a dramatic cut to worker retraining programs. And he says he's investing in infrastructure, but he's actually cutting more from infrastructure than he's putting in. So He's not investing in infrastructure and jobs. And by the way, how about that $2 trillion little error that they double counted? Error. Which which Mulvaney says, oh, yeah, it's not an error. That was intentional. And there's probably some undercounting in other places. They're either really bad at math or this is a really nefarious, like, slip up, right, to try and make it look better. Well, I do think that they're sloppy. Um and I do think Mulvaney is, you know, he's really good at talking. Um, and I've heard from people who know him that he's a nice guy. But, you know, he came before the Budget Committee yesterday, and I, I had a couple of reactions. One is, I was so sad, honestly. I just looked at that budget, and I thought, how can you possibly propose these kinds of things and even try to make an argument that this is good for America? It's it's devastating. It will be devastating to people who voted for this man, as well as for people who didn't, both. But that's where the betrayal part comes in. But the second thing I was thinking is, is, uh, and I actually asked Mulvaney about this, but he described it as Trumponomics. Yeah, said, we talked about this. He said this yeah. is Trumponomics. So I said, Director Mulvaney, I don't know what Trumponomics is, but is it is it getting us into bankruptcies, like the six bankruptcies that Donald Trump declared so that he could ultimately be the only one that was wealthy out of the whole thing and profit out of the whole thing? Because I don't want Trumponomics, if that's what it is. They're so, going to live to regret coining this term I think they Trumponomics, are. I think right? Because this all blows up. It's sort of amazing that they actually went there and coined it, right? Because it's, yes. it's, it's like, did they, did they decide to say, you know what, we're going to get made fun of on SNL for this, so why don't we just do it first, right? <laughs> I, think, I think that's what they did. It's yeah. like... You know what? They're gonna like, get in front of the story. Let's just get out there first. We'll just name ourselves. We'll just laugh at ourselves. No, but really, I mean, Trumponomics is Trump-onomics. is is. I we were just talking about this. I, I said it, I called it alternative math. Right? Yeah. That's what it is. Two, what's two trillion here and there at the same time? Yeah. Right? Um, no, I, but and Congresswoman, I want to say you you were fantastic and spoke eloquently yesterday at Thank a you. press conference and rally um, that was after the Mulvaney uh, yeah. uh, hearing, um, and folks gathered outside the Capitol, and it was really it was amazing to see there were people from you know, everything from Planned Parenthood to the faith groups to um, energy and environment groups to groups that care about folks who are struggling to to make ends meet. Everybody was all there and and really out in force, and you were there with Congress.
Congresswoman Barbara Lee and Leader Pelosi and Whip Hoyer and a whole bunch of folks, Congressman Yarmouth, um, and everybody really saying, you know what, we can't just sit here and hope that this budget is dead on arrival. We have to send a loud message to Republicans in Congress who are considering all the same policies right right now, whether it's in the form of the Republican health bill um, or whether it's in the form of their own budgets that are going to come real soon. Um, And we need to send a message hands off programs that uh, make it possible for families to afford the basics for tax cuts for the wealthy and corporations, because that's what this budget is. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you. I mean, thanks to the Center for American Progress and Move On and all the groups that were out there. Um, I think it really is important because, number one, we can't assume. Number two, my biggest fear is that by setting the bar so low with such a bad budget, we cannot think that we've won if we just get half of what's proposed in the budget. That's right. We have to push for, at a minimum, keeping up with inflation and sticking to the numbers that we had already. But there's a lot of work we need to do. We do need to invest in infrastructure. That is a serious investment that will yield long-term results. We do need to invest in education. So there's work that we have to do. But because he pulled us so far to the right put my hand the other way. Uh, <laughs> um, Her hand is out to the right, hand was out It was stage right. It was right to me. It's all right. Come on. Come on. Come on. But because of that, we really need to make sure that we don't lower our bar. We need to stay in the territory of what really helps working families across this country. And that's, I think, what Democrats have to fight for. That's what progressives have to fight for. We introduced our progressive budget. We're going to do our introduction of our progressive infrastructure plan today. Um, So we're going to set another bar for where we should be. But that's what scares me is we can't accept, you know, half of the cuts and say, hey, that's a victory. We really, this country, people are hurting. And my constituents are hurting Um, people across the country are trying to put food on the table and a roof over their heads and send their kids to school and retire with some security. And this budget would destroy everything. And even a piece of this budget would destroy everything. It's such a good point. Peter's not going to get to talk again because we're we're just going to Why would I talk? Well, you two are brilliant. (laughs) What am I going to do? I'm making jokes about body slamming reporters and you guys are cutting it up on actual policy. Well, that's why you get Get to host this show, right? That's that's, that's what hosting is. I'm really just a viewer. We were were talking before. We we called this budget a body slam to everybody who isn't wealthy, right? Uh, And and I leaning into the news of of last night. Very, very, yeah, very contemporary. Wait, Congresswoman, have you ever body slammed a reporter, yes or no? You know, if this guy wins, (laughs) I may have to go. (laughs) (laughs) Great point. Uh, but but I think what you're making is such an important point that it, we need to not just say, oh, this budget is so extreme, it'll never happen, and then allow congressional Republicans to go next and do something that's slightly less extreme exactly. and say, look, doesn't this look super reasonable and moderate by comparison? Mm-hmm. We didn't do anything nearly as bad as what Trump did, right? It's like it, they, it's kind of a beautiful uh, two-part act if they're coordinating yeah. on no, any exactly. level, and we can't let that happen. No, exactly, and I think we did fairly well on the on the omnibus budget. You know, I think that that was my fear on the omnibus as well. Um, But people really rejected that out of hand. Now, this one, 
there's so much in it that it's, I, I think, you know, this is where the fight is going to be. But, you know, let me mention one other thing that's of particular interest to me, which is how ridiculous that we're going to invest $1.5 billion into the wall on the southern border. Yep. This oh, is the man. wall to nowhere. I was just in Berlin. I was at the Heidelberg Gate. And thinking about how, you know, that wall was, what, 87 miles long or something, 93 miles long. And... We tore it down. You know, they tore it down, but we helped. And here we are building this wall along the southern border. The latest estimates from MIT are that it would cost $40 billion. So this is a ridiculous way to to put, you know, to spend money when we have real needs at stake. I can't believe how quickly we went from we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. To, oh, yeah, we're going to pay for it. And not only did Trump just admit, yeah, we're going to pay for it, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell all lined up. We're like, yeah, 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 we're, yeah, we're going to pay for the wall. Well, like, you know. I, that's amazing to me. We, we, we it, it took no time at all. Well, what's really amazing is you should listen to the three days of Judiciary Committee hearings that we just had on the Mass Deportation and Child Incarceration uh, Act. That's what I'm calling it. That's what uh, Zoe Lofgren introduced, a, uh, an amendment to call it that. She, she withdrew the amendment, but it was to make a point. But, um, you know, to sit there and listen to the hypocrisy of trying to introduce a bill that would strip you know, that would that would criminalize undocumented immigrants, that would mandatorily detain children and that would strip our economy of all these economic benefits that everybody is partaking in right now. You tell me if you don't eat a vegetable, then maybe you can vote for this bill. You don't you don't stay in a hotel room that somebody doesn't clean. Maybe you vote for the bill. But otherwise, you better not be voting for this bill because you are, you know, actually gaining the benefits of immigrant labor and the the lack of courage of Congress in passing a comprehensive immigration reform bill. Ugh. It's just, it's grotesque what's happening. It's absolutely grotesque what's happening. Um, let's talk, in, let's jump into healthcare because uh, we did get the CBO score for the the AHCA <laughs> yes. yesterday. Finally, after it's been voted on and sent to the Senate, we got to look at it and it does not look good. Another bill that needs to be renamed while we're at it, right? It's not the American Health Care Act. It is, I mean, I think Peter and I have repeatedly called it the Death Panel Act. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, because exactly. that's what it actually is, it a literal is. death panel. Just in case you haven't seen the news yet, the, the rest of the time we're going to talk about this, but uh, I'm going to read straight from the Washington Post. 23 million more Americans will be uninsured in 2026 than under the current law. And if that sounds like it's far off and we've got time to avoid that collision, they also point out that uh, projected people are projected to lose uh, 14 million people are projected to lose their health care by next year. So 23 million by 2026, 14 million by next year and steep, steep cuts to Medicaid. Well, and they also say that, um, you know, it would be more except that they think that because they took all the pieces of health insurance basically out of the policies, right, mm. eliminating the essential health benefits package, all these other things, that people will actually end up with health care. If they have it, they'll end up with health care that is significantly worse than anything that they have today. So this is, I think, uh, a travesty. The reason they didn't vote on it, of course, was that they knew this was going to be the case. They wanted to push it through before. They only won the vote by one vote. And I don't think they would have won if they had the CBO score that said, essentially, it's doing the same thing as the last bill that you guys tried to pass, that 
people around the country organizing and mobilizing were actually the ones who stopped that bill. Um, and I think that they knew that if they got a CBO score on this, it wouldn't pass. So they pushed it through as quickly as they could. Now it's up to the Senate. But I think it makes it extremely difficult for the Senate to pass anything like like this. So you know what's been amazing though is to watch th- there actually have been a handful now of congressional republicans who have come out and said, you know, oh my god, I've learned what's in the bill and now I know it's horrible. I like congressman Mark Meadows actually broke into tears, right? Burst into tears saying I didn't know it eliminated protections for pre-existing conditions. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to get out the world's tiniest violin here for yeah, a right. second because I, if you voted for the bill and you didn't know what was in it, what are you doing? And, and and I've got to say, I didn't hear that, but um, I, I'm shaking my head because there's no way that he could know that that didn't eliminate, that it eliminated pre-existing conditions. I'm sorry. There's no possible way that he could not know that. All of us knew that it eliminated pre-existing conditions. If you chose not to believe that, you had your head in the sand and you were not looking to be able to know that. So it's convenient for him now that he's cast his vote and gotten a bunch of other Freedom Caucus members to vote for the thing to now say, oh, I'm really sorry. Well, if he's really sorry, then go talk to Paul Ryan and get him to pull back. I, I don't know if Paul Ryan has even submitted the the bill to the Senate for a vote yet because he hadn't um, a couple days ago. So if he hasn't, pull back the bill. Don't right. don't send yeah, it over. That's an but excellent point. I'm waiting to see if Mark Meadows does that. Maybe maybe Cap can send over a request and say we saw how broken up you are, <laughs> um, and we'd like to ask you if you'd take the lead on pulling the bill back because without your vote, it would actually fail. So <laughs> if we haven't done this already, I'm happy to take that idea back. <laughs> there we go. Take it back. There we go. Take it back. This could happen. You heard it here first, Topher Spiro. If you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> let's get it done. Let's get it done. Uh, you know, uh, for all of the uh, talk about Donald Trump uh, being a failure as as president, and let's be clear, it's been pretty bad. Uh, Paul Ryan has really outed himself as being spineless and uh, not capable of leading his own party here. I mean, this whole debacle over health care yeah. lays at the feet of Paul Ryan. Yeah. No, I'm I'm really disappointed. I never worked with him. Obviously, I'm brand new to Congress. But, you know, he was pretty good on immigration reform. He's... At least he seemed to be good on immigration sure, reform. Sure, sure. But I think, you know, for somebody who says he's really smart, says he's about policy, um, appears that way at, at first blush, <laughs> um, it is really disappointing to see how he's just sort of thrown in the towel. He's all in for Trump. I think he probably decided at some point that, um, he either had to go all in or he had to go all out. And he went all in and he's staying all in and we'll see how long that lasts. But I agree with you. Ladies, thank you so very much for hanging out with me for the show. If you missed any of the program, you can go get it on iTunes. Just look for The Bill Press Show. Rebecca Vallis, host of the Off-Kilter Podcast and Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. Thank you both for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Peter, thanks. This is The Bill Press Show.